Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, I never hit her. The whole time we were married until that night, I never hit her. Why didn't you leave? Because I loved her. She was very jealous. Very jealous. I had to quit my band. I had to sell my Harley. I had to sell my drums. It was just like something took over my body. It wasn't me. I was just heart racing real fast. Here, you know, my hands are shaking. My whole body's shaking. The thing was that uh, I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, I really didn't know. You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. 
Welcome back to another episode of Voices of a Killer. Today, we're talking to 60-year-old Larry Denwood, a Missouri man who is currently serving 20 years for murder. In just a few moments, you'll hear from Larry himself about how, in 2015, he brutally murdered his wife of 26 years. Larry's story is intriguing for a couple of reasons. Killers are usually quick to dispose of a victim. They might bury the dead body or scatter what remains. But what marks Larry's case apart is his odd choice to hide his wife's body close by for the four years he walked free. Additionally, as we scratch the surface of this case, it becomes impossible to separate this murder from the domestic abuse that was constant in their marriage. What drove Larry's actions that night and in the four years that followed? Did this onslaught of abuse push Larry to his breaking point? And what emotional cost has Larry faced after killing the woman he loved? All of this and more after we speak to Larry Denwood on another intriguing episode of Voices of a Killer. So, Larry, you from Marshfield? Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up just south of Chicago. Okay. How long did you live in Illinois? Oh, until I was about 15. How would you describe your childhood growing up? Was it pretty rough? Was it... How was it? Ah, uh, no, it was just average. I played sports and stuff like that, and the tough kids around in the, the, the neighborhood. <laughs> Growing up, did your mother and father stay together? Is there like drugs or alcohol oh, involved, yeah, or yeah. what? No, none whatsoever. Uh, my dad was pretty sick. He got uh, he had a couple heart attacks, and then uh, retired from Fisher Body out there, and then uh, moved to Missouri. And uh, he had open heart surgery, and they found him full of cancer. That and so I was a sophomore in high school whenever my dad passed away. My mom died about oh, 12 years ago. Yeah. So, Larry, take me back to how did you meet your wife? Tell me about that. Actually, uh, I played in a band. I played drums in a band. When I came in that night and uh, from playing, it was probably late. It was probably like 1 o'clock in the morning. And my cousin called me and said, hey, there's a girl over here. And I saw you guys play last week and she wants to meet you. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't really want to go. And she said, yeah, she's begging you to come over. He said, you come over, you're going to get laid. I said, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah, that's how I met her. You know, gotcha. Yeah. So whenever y'all met that night, y'all pretty much locked it, locked it in for good? Not until the next night. <laughs> yeah. So how long after you met her, the first, first day you met her, did you actually get married? Oh, golly, three months. Wow, so that was pretty quick work. You you fell in love with yeah, her? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Those three months between meeting her and getting married, did you ever have any big fights with her yet? Not really. No, she was not She was an abusive alcoholic. But back then, the drinking wasn't all that bad. She drank, but she didn't get that bad. It, it just got worse over the years. After you got married, did you guys have kids together? Uh, yeah. What year did y'all get married? 1989. How many kids did you have? Uh, she had one prior, uh, and he was like, uh, oh, good, four months old whenever we met. But yeah. uh, that was gorgeous, and I raised him by my own. And then uh, we had uh, another daughter, uh, Lucretia, and then we had a set of twins, a boy and a girl. Yeah. And that was it. People love a good love story. We're suckers for the happy Hollywood ending. And Larry's story of falling in love is something we might expect from a movie. By his 40s, Larry was a drummer in a local rock band, a bachelor living carefree and playing regular late-night gigs. All that changed when Larry was set up with the woman who would become his wife. She'd been eyeing him out on stage, 
and after a whirlwind romance, they ended up tying the knot after just three short months. Early on, it seemed exciting and promising, and the addition of kids capped off the picture of a happy family. Usually, that's where the typical love story ends. Not so for Larry. Things had moved too fast for him to truly know the woman he had married. It didn't take long for Larry to discover a darker side of his wife's character. So, you kind of have a, a unique situation where you ended up killing your wife, but you had some abuse that was, was done to you, and there's uh, is there a record of that abuse that your wife did to you? Yeah, yeah, I never hit her. The whole time we were married until that night, I never hit her. Not Larry, one time. Yeah. Did you have any issues at this time with drugs or alcohol? Yeah, I did. I always did drugs and drank and did drugs and but I wasn't like an abusive person or anything like that back then. Yeah. Uh, not at all. I just partied some. It wasn't like crazy. Well, was alcohol her drug of choice? Yeah, my wife, yeah. She didn't like drugs, but she liked alcohol. During the course of being married together, did you ever have to call the cops on her for abusing you? Uh, no, I never did. I never did. Uh, the neighbors said, you know, would hear us, you know, and had the cops called a couple times. What would happen when the but, cops came over? Uh, they just tell us to, you know, if they come back, we're going to go to jail, you know. Yeah. You know, just, you know, they would, you know, usually settle it down, you know. It, it would just be verbal. Maybe her. <laughs> Did you ever have any instances where your wife got physical with you with a weapon or her fist or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. T take me back to the first time that she actually got physical with you. Just tell you go through that scenario. Or I mean, or one like, or one time that's memorable except for the the main event. Okay, um, she she would get to the point where uh, she would get drunk, but I'm working three jobs trying to support kids, and uh, she would get drunk because she wants somebody to talk to. And she'd come in there and wake me up during the middle of the night, and uh, I'd be like, "Hey, I gotta sleep. I gotta get up in a couple hours. I've only had two hours sleep." Then she can get mad. You better get up, and uh, you know, and she's hit me then and stuff like that. But uh, as far as a weapon, uh, the only time she ever hit me with a weapon was when she hit me with a hammer, threw it at me, hit me in the face. Yeah. Whenever she would get abusive with you, was there any times that you said, you know what, this is not healthy, it's it, it's not going to go away, it's only going to get worse yeah. or stay the same? Did you yeah. ever think this is the time I need to go ahead and get out of the situation? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, she told me that if I ever left her, that she would uh, she would track me down and kill me. Did you, you believe yeah. her? Probably. <laughs> yeah, she's the one that asked me to marry her. Whenever it comes to domestic violence, even just that word domestic violence, we always think a woman is getting the violence against them. A lot of times when we hear these stories and these women are getting all this abuse, one of the things people say constantly, it's always something they say, and I even say it is, leave them. Why don't you just leave? Quit, quit. And there's reasons behind why people can't leave. My question yeah. to you is, now on the other end of the spectrum, it's the guy getting the abuse. Why didn't you leave? Yeah, because I loved her. And I always thought that maybe she would quit. I talked to her the next day when she's sober. And, uh, you know, it would be like, okay, sorry about that. It ain't going to happen again and stuff like that. You know? It wasn't very often that it happened. Not of, oh, goodness, when, how many years were we married? Uh, got married in 89, so until 19, uh, and it, the, the, the physical part maybe of happened, I'd say, by less than 10 times. It was the mental. 
the mental abuse was the main thing. She was very jealous, very jealous. I had to quit my band. I had to sell my Harley. I had to sell my drums. Just, you know, for her, because I'd take off. She always had to know where I was at. Stuff like that. I couldn't play in a rock band anymore because women were staring at me and stuff like that. Yeah, it was crazy. So she was highly insecure? Oh, yeah, yeah. So your answer about not leaving is pretty common answer for what women give is the man apologizes the next day. They're there for a reason. Right. They, they You love each other. That's why you're there in the first place. So you want yeah. things to get better, but unfortunately they just don't. A year in, Larry's marriage turned rocky when his wife became emotionally abusive. We often think of abuse as physical, and occasionally Larry's wife did lash out violently, but emotional abuse can be even more debilitating. When she drank, Larry's wife became cruel, manipulative, and controlling to her husband, often harassing and demeaning him. She cut him off from the hobbies he enjoyed and accused him of infidelity. Day in, day out, Larry suffered torment from his wife, which wore down his sense of safety and his self-esteem. In matters of domestic abuse, society usually portrays men as the perpetrators, not the victims. Maybe because of physical strength, we're quick to attribute violence to men. But Larry's story sheds light on the fact that women abuse men too. In fact, his marriage actually fits a textbook pattern we see in abusive relationships. Despite years of relentless bullying, Larry still loved his wife. She would become remorseful and promise to change after an abusive episode, which gave Larry hope to cling to and a reason to stay. Unfortunately, it's this cycle of abuse that traps victims in their broken relationships far, far too long. And when left to fester, Larry's abusive situation pushed him to make one impulsive decision that changed his life. So there's one instance, one fight where things really changed your life forever. You uh, had some abuse uh, against you and you snapped. What I want to know is before that actual event that day, were things already escalating? Was there a period of time where things were just really at a bad time or, or what? Tell me about that day. Yeah, uh, it wasn't that bad that day until uh, she found out that uh, I had went and bought a bunch of drugs and spent our house payment. Yeah, that was my stupid. And uh, she, I finally broke down and told her about it, and she blew up, and uh, we were fighting and fighting, arguing. I think she might have slapped me or something like that. Uh, I went to bed. I tried to go to bed because I had to work the next day, and she goes, no, you're not going to bed. And... I told her to leave me alone, and I went over to shut the door, and she come down the hallway with a hammer, and I told her to go away, and she turned around, and, or I turned around about that time to hammer. She threw the hammer and hit me in the head. I broke my nose and cut my eyelid, where it was hanging off the side and everything. And that's whenever I, I just lost it. I picked up the hammer, and I had no control. It was just like something took over my body. It wasn't me that did that. Whenever you picked up that hammer and you were in the process of losing control, what was she doing in that instant right there? Was she still yelling at you or was she in a shock yeah. that she just hit you or what? No, she she went back into the, the living room. This, that took place in the bedroom. And she turned around and went back into the living room. And I just, I just went right at her. Did you strike her from behind? Yeah. Yeah. The first blow, would yeah. you say you put all your might into it? Uh... Yeah, I hit her hard enough to where the hammer came off the, the uh, wooden part of the hammer that Ed did. And uh, 
Did the, I don't know. I never, it was did, just an old hammer. Did the hammer go into her head, or did it, like, crack her skull? It cracked the skull, yeah. yeah. She fall down immediately? Yeah. And you said, did the did the hammer break away from the wood completely, or it just broke it a little bit? It, it came off of it, and I picked it up. I got the hammer part and just continued hitting her in the head with it. And the, the palm of your hand, the metal part? Yeah. Was she laying flat on her face when you were hitting her? No, she was on her back. Was she able to look at you while you were doing that? Yeah. Was she trying to block it with her uh, hands? Yeah, yeah. What was she saying while you were swinging that at her? The, last, the only word that she said was Larry. That's the last word she ever said. Were you hitting her in her face or the forehead or just anywhere in the head? In the forehead, yeah. Did you straddle her body while you were doing this? Yeah, yeah, I did. What were you thinking as you were hitting her each swing? I, I wasn't thinking anything. I didn't even think anything until it was over. And then I freaked. I didn't know what to do. While I, you're, I called cops. Yeah, but while you were hitting her... At what point did she finally stop fighting back, and, and how long after that did you continue to, to hit her? Oh, uh, no, after uh, she quit fighting back, uh, I, I finally grabbed a hammer and uh, dropped the hammer. And uh, after I hit her several times, and there was blood coming out of her head. And she wasn't quite that yet. That's when she said Larry. And I grabbed her by the throat with both hands and proceeded to choke her the rest of the way out. You're still straddling her when you're doing this? Yeah. While you're choking her, is she looking at you? No, her eyes had already had just went back. While you're choking her, trying to finish her off, is it, at this point in the time when you're choking her, is it more, I've gone this far, let me finish, or are you just still into the rage? I, I didn't even, I, I wasn't thinking of anything. I had no, no thought process happening at, at all right then. Years of abuse reached a breaking point one night at Larry's home. As Larry tells it, the catalyst was one unwise decision. Larry had spent the family's house payment on drugs, and this had provoked an explosive argument between him and his wife. When Larry withdrew to the bedroom, the situation spiraled out of control. His wife flung a hammer into his face, breaking his nose and cutting his eyelid open. At this point, something snapped in Larry. This was the man who had put up with years of his wife's control and manipulation. The anger he had pent up over his marriage erupted at this moment, blinding Larry of his rational thinking. He tackled his wife, striking her repeatedly with the hammer to the point that the handle broke. As he choked her to death, Larry describes being possessed by a wild, unthinking anger. The events he recalls are chaotic and hazy, but he remembers surprising clarity that her last word was Larry. With time, the fog of rage lifted and Larry was left to confront the reality of what he had done. And once you did finish killing her, did you stay straddled on top of her for a time thinking and, and just sitting there on her, or did you immediately get off of her? Mm, I think I got right off of her. Started thinking about what I was going to do next. Was she moving around like nerves doing stuff, or was she completely... No, uh, no she was she was. Limp. She had a, uh, I wish I would have went to my papers before I called you back up. After uh, being frozen in a freezer for, what, how many years, um, she still had a, a, lar a very high blood alcohol content. After you realize what you had done and you stand up, what were some of the things that you started to think about what you should do? One of those that you ended up choosing was putting her in a freezer, but I'm sure that there were other 
but other scenarios, oh, yeah. what were they? Well, I thought about calling the police, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. I'll go to jail, man. I don't want to go to jail. And uh, I thought maybe I can call her off somewhere uh, barrier in my yard or something. And I thought, no, people see me and don't wonder why there's a big... I'm doing out here during the middle of the night with a shovel, and I thought, shoot, i got to do something for now to prevent her from smelling. I'm going to go ahead and put her in my deep freeze out of the garage until I get an idea what to do. So that's pretty well that. How long after you had killed her did you make that decision? About putting her in the freezer? Yeah. Within the hour. Okay. And where was this freezer? How far from the body was it? It was this happened in my living room. You would have to go through the kitchen and out the door into the garage. That's where the freezer was at. And b- the time that you're thinking about what you're going to do, did you cover up with a blanket? Did you do anything to yeah. that? Oh, yeah. You Try to it? stop the blood from going everywhere. It was a lot of blood? Yeah, quite a bit, yeah. While you're cleaning all this up, did you ever break down crying or, or just... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, many a time. And so did you yeah, just... I hate what I did. What's her stats? Is she a tall, big? Oh, uh, no, she was, uh, no, she just average size. It's pretty easy to pick her up and put her in the freezer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty strong. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So once you put her in the freezer, I guess after that, it was just clean-up mode? Yeah. Tell me about that. Did you... Was it on carpet? Is it blood on carpet? Or is it... Uh... Yeah, it was on carpet, but as soon as uh, I got a plastic bag under her head and everything like that, and uh, uh, got some blankets and wrapped her up in blankets and drug her across the kitchen floor, I drug her into the into the garage and then put her in the freezer. Yeah. Was there blood dripping the whole way? No, because I had her covered up and everything got yeah. wrapped up. So, Larry, uh, what was your night like? That evening after you killed your wife, did you? Oh my goodness! Uh, I was paranoid. Uh, I was—I was, I just kept on doing drugs. What kind of uh, drugs were you doing? Oh, acid. See, so I was already on painkillers. Uh, what drugs did you go buy to make her mad? Acid, a lot, <laughs> a lot of acid. A lot of people that do acid—it's not something that causes them issues in life it's just it's recreational in other words it's yeah. not really habit forming it's not it's something you do that most people don't uh, take it and then yeah. try to work so how did that cause you issues lsd i was also doing i was smoking crack and eating the cottons the three of them together yeah 
But uh, yeah, I turned off my TV after I couldn't decide what to do with her. I was uh, scared, paranoid. So let me turn off r- real quick. Let me ask you something. Were you tripping uh, on that? Were you tripping on acid when you killed your wife? Yeah. Holy shit! How many hits did you take? A whole four way hit a window pane. Wow. Yeah. That's this kind of took a little bit of a turn. I didn't. Let's back up a little bit because LSD is intriguing as it is. What was that like? Tripping on LSD and killing someone, if you can explain that, if it's possible. Oh, man. Like I said, I, I I can't describe what I was going through whenever I did it. I have no idea. It was like I hit a blank. And for I don't know how long it took for the whole thing to happen. All I know is I remember the hammer part. I remember the hammer coming apart and I remember picking it up and hitting her and I remember strangling her. But so, I was I was also on doing a meth and it just I was just heart racing real fast, scared. You know, my hands are shaking, my whole body's shaking. So know? was this people that know about L S D it's either either two one of two or both, which is visual or body high. What was it visual? You'd have visual with it. I mean, with this particular, yeah, so you were, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around this, to be tripping on acid and kill somebody is just, because uh, it's already, I'm already fascinated by someone taking someone else's life, but doing it on LSD, is, uh, yeah. it, it brings it to another level. So how much LSD did you have left over when you killed her, and how much crack did you have left over? Oh, golly, I had, I, I had probably about 40 hits of LSD left. I think I had 40 hits left. Yeah, because I bought 50. I think I had 40 or 41 right in there somewhere. And uh, I didn't have, I had a little under an eight ball of, of meth left. So and, after you killed her, did you take some more acid and do some more drugs? Oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And uh, wow. I got to the point of paranoia. I sat there for three days, yeah, on my couch, just rocking back and forth. Did you ever go back to the freezer and check on her? Yeah. A lot? Yeah. Did you ever open the freezer and, and, and really, like, stare at her for a long period of time? No, not for a long time. Did you ever talk to her after she passed away in the freezer? I don't remember. I really don't remember. But you would actually... But I know. You would actually be tripping on acid and go back and open the freezer and check on things? Yeah, I checked several times. I don't know if I was actually tripping then or not, yeah, I was so paranoid. I had my windows pulled too, my shades pulled too. Larry's story takes a bizarre turn with the revelation that he was tripping on acid as he murdered his wife. Murder alone can be hard to understand. Now add that to the hallucinogenic effects of LSD and a cocktail of other drugs, and the night becomes even more disturbing. Now, LSD isn't typically associated with aggression or violent crime in the way that a substance like heroin is, while it might have impaired his judgment and loosened his grip on reality, it's unlikely that the acid itself motivated Larry's actions. One thing's for sure, it definitely heightened the murder itself to a whole new level, as well as his paranoia on the days following his wife's death. For three long days, Larry sat on the couch in a darkened room in a constant fear of being discovered and grappling with what he had done. Probably what heightened his paranoia was his means of disposing of his wife's body. On the night of the murder, Larry couldn't come up with a safe way to eradicate the evidence, so he had to choose to hide her body in the freezer of his garage instead, and this is where she remained. Many times, Larry revisited the freezer, 
The body served as a grim reminder that he had made a life-changing mistake. After the break, we find out how Larry kept his daily life while his wife's body sat in the freezer. So Larry, now that the deed is done, you probably went through the cycle of going through these drugs and days pass, days turn into weeks. Give me a bit, little bit of an insight like a week or so later. What's what's going on? Are you back to just trying to act like everything's okay or, or what? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I got rid of all the acid, flushed it down the toilet. Sure did. Wow. What made you do that? Just, I, it was just a thing of, I don't know, maybe it's a way of saying I'm sorry. I'm going to get rid of this because I know what is, what's caused this. Sure. Yeah, something like that. I think it was just being so high so long that I just had it done. So from then on, the only thing that I took was painkillers. That's it. Nothing else. So, Larry, there's quite a bit of time that went by from the time that you killed her to the time that they actually busted you. And to my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but she was never reported missing. Four years. No. Her family didn't have anything to do with her. Uh, she had driven her mom and dad to move away. And uh, actually, I believe that she's the reason her mom and dad both had a heart attack and died. Because she would just call them and yell at them and stuff like that. Did you have a job at the time? Yeah. So you were going right after this murder, you're basically going to show back up to work? Yeah. Yep. In the next four years, you literally, nobody even knows your wife's dead. What's it like? You go to work. Like, how's the wife, Larry? You know, I worked third shift. So, you know, everybody knew that me and her didn't get along. My neighbors couldn't stand her because she she was mean to him. She was hateful to him. So, you know, I've had several people ask, you know, where she's at. I said, ah, I made her go back to Mississippi where she was from. That's what I told everyone. Yeah. So people work on it every once in a while asking. Yeah. Even my kids never even asked where she was at because <laughs> they, they wouldn't have anything to do with her. Did you stay close to checking the Internet, watching the news to see if ever anything ever came about on the news or anything? No, not really. Four years passed by. Were there any anything that felt like a close call to you or, or times? Over uh, like, yeah, one time uh, I had, I was driving and uh, this girl comes running up to my car and said, will you please help me? My boyfriend's trying to get me. I said, get in the car real quick. So I got her in the car and she had me drive, drive her way out to the country to some people's house. Okay, I didn't think anything of it. That was done. Okay, I did a good deed for someone. About the next day, the day after that, I got the police showing up at my house. And this was like over a year after this had happened with the, with the murder. So as and soon as you I'm saw like, the police, your, your heart probably dropped. Oh, yeah. I thought they said that they needed to take me up to the courthouse for questioning. And I said, oh, my goodness. Somebody reported her being gone. So I get up there and they started asking me about this lady who broke out of jail. Oh. And they were booking her in and she broke out of jail. And they had me on camera and they saw her off of surveillance, off of cameras. And they saw me pick her up. And I told them, you know, exactly what happened. And that, yeah, that scared the heck out of me. That was that. The four years following the death of Larry's wife were surreal. Outwardly, Larry kept up the appearance that everything was normal. If anyone asked, he told them his wife had left him and returned to her hometown. However, the garage freezer harbored a terrible secret that haunted Larry every day. 
His wife's corpse was a daily reminder that he had killed the woman he loved, and the guilt gnawed at him over those four years. In a gesture of repentance, he even flushed the leftover drugs down the toilet. After all, they started this whole mess. The sad part of this case is that nobody noticed that Larry's wife was missing. Before her death, she had become estranged from her family and fallen out of contact with her kids, perhaps a reflection of her character. This only made Larry's situation more unsettling. He had committed a terrible act, but there seemed to be absolutely no interest in his wife's disappearance. Once, a chance encounter with a woman fleeing prison gave Larry an unsettling run-in with the police. Discovery, though always a looming possibility, seemed to elude Larry until one day. Four years is a long time. Now we do get down to year four. You have her in a freezer, but now this freezer has been since moved from your house to a storage facility? Yeah. When did you make okay. When did you move her? The thing is that... Uh... I was going to get a bobcat, and over at my uncle's house, I was going to dig a ditch out there and use his neighbor's bobcat. That's what kept on taking me so long to do anything, because I never could meet up with the guy. He's always on vacation or out working somewhere, and I started driving a truck, doing over-the-road driving. And so I'm only home three days out of the month. The rest of the time, I'm on the highway. And yeah, I'm always thinking, I hope nobody, my landlord doesn't come in there and start going through my stuff and everything. And my family was like, well, why don't you just put your stuff in storage and you can stay with one of us whenever you come in or something like that. Yeah, I moved everything into a storage place. I had electricity. I had it locked up and everything. And I didn't make it in. Whenever I, you moved the moved the freezer, how many years into it was it when you moved the freezer? About two years. Did you open up the freezer? Again, then, and check? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I got her in there, and then I failed a... I got hit with a urine test, and I tested positive. At work? So I got fired. Yeah. So I got fired and lost my job. So I ain't got no way to pay my storage bill. I, I talked to him. I'm like, man, you know I'm always paying my bill, even a couple months in advance. He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, but we're probably going to move the freezer up into uh, a bigger place so I could have that to rent out to somebody else. I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. So, yeah, I pretty well got to. And either that or you take the freezer now. And uh, I said, all right, we'll go with that. But uh, I said, I, I'll move it. So me and this other guy moved it. And uh, and uh, I still hadn't come up with another job yet. So uh, apparently he had another guy pop it open and... Uh, they saw what was in there, called the police immediately. And uh, he calls me and tells me, you got to get over here now and, and get this freezer and get it out of here. He said, it's stinking. He said, you either get it over here or I'm going to haul it to the dome. I said, okay. So I got somebody to help me uh, to go get the freezer, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But uh, we get over there, and there was a setup. The cops were already there. I drove by earlier. And uh, there were no cop cars around, so I figured it was okay to go there. So we get there, and I walk in there, and cops just surrounded me. Yeah. Yeah, that was that. <laughs> Which, it was a relief. It really was. It was a big relief. Was it? Yeah. I've it heard really that was. before. Heard that before. Uh, so 
My question to you is like the time that they're putting pressure on you to move this freezer around, that didn't freak you out that somebody else was going to be, you didn't try to spend the next waking hours just trying to get that freezer out of that place altogether? The thing was that uh, I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, I really didn't know. But uh, as far as I knew, we were going to just move it to this other part, a bigger garage, plug it in. That's what we did. Everything was a-okay. No questions or anything. So whenever they arrested you, did you immediately say, yes, this is all what happened, or did you try to lie at first? No, I told them the truth. You told them? Yep. Just like you told me? Yep. And uh, my lawyer said that I should have never said anything. Sure. But I did. I knew the day was going to come eventually. Yeah, it's really, people just don't get away with that kind of stuff, especially when you're connected to that person like that. But it's amazing that you were able to get away with that for four years and people weren't. Where's your wife? Yep. And they were, but not enough to, to, you know, cause you to get caught. Right. Oh, and I told the judge, I said, I'm ready to accept whatever you give me. I said, I had no right to take somebody else's life. And I said, and it's killing me a little bit every day of my life. I said, that was my wife. And I loved her. I said, yeah, we had our ups and downs. I said, but I had no right to do what I did. And uh, I said, whatever you feel like giving me, I said, I'm good with it. Larry's four-year-long ordeal came to an end when he called to retrieve his freezer from a storage unit. Years earlier, he'd placed the freezer there as a temporary measure. He'd intended it to be a place to store his wife's body until he could make other arrangements to bury her. Now, after missing multiple payments on the unit, Larry's time was up. In a planned setup, Larry was called in to relocate the freezer and the police swiftly ambushed him. To Larry, this was a big relief. Getting caught actually lifted the burden he'd been living under for the past four years. He confessed the unfiltered truth and pleaded guilty at his trial. As he told the judge, the guilt has tormented him every day of his life and he deeply regrets taking the life of the woman he loved. But Larry's story makes us wonder, how did his abusive relationship influence his actions? While abuse doesn't justify taking somebody's life, Larry felt trapped and humiliated, and this was a key motivating factor when he picked up the hammer. Larry had no prior history of violence. His stepson attested that he knew Larry to be a decent, patient guy who suffered from abuse for all 20 years of his marriage. So in calculating Larry's sentence, it's likely that the judge considered Larry's abuse a mitigating factor to lessen Larry's time behind bars. Ultimately, Larry is a cautionary tale about staying in an abusive relationship, especially for men who might be afraid to be labeled a victim. Bringing to light stories like Larry's can help victims to recognize abusive patterns in their own lives and escape before a situation escalates to violence, like Larry's sadly did. What did the judge say to that when you told him that? He said uh, it was it was a very sad situation. He said it was so sad, and uh, he said... Uh, the uh, prosecuting attorney wanted me to get uh, 20 to lie is what he wanted me to get. And uh, the judge just gave me the 20, yeah. which I, I, I got lucky with that. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunate that people can uh, be together, love each other, and then there's domestic violence where whatever makes us do those things, people do it. Right. And it's hard to get out of those situations because, you know, you're with them for a reason. It's because you love them and uh-huh. you don't want to break that tie yet. Staying together means more violence. And uh, it's just a 
it's a big problem everywhere, but um, uh, it, it sucks that happened to you. How's prison been for you? Oh, okay. It's a lot better than county jail. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I'm dealing with it. Do you have support on the outside? Not really, not very much. Yeah, yeah I, I just pretty well live on this fake tip. Yeah. And it makes it hard. Have you gotten any kind of anybody reach out to you that's uh, friends or family of the victim, hate mail or anything? No, nothing. No. Yeah, all her family was down in Mississippi for our children. And I've talked to them several times, but not a whole lot. So what do you think the answer is to somebody that's in love with somebody, but they're being abused? Obviously, they love them, they want to stay, but if they do stay, then that means more abuse. What, What is your answer to that? Oh my goodness, uh, I think comes a time where you just, you have to just say, okay, listen, it's gonna have to stop now or I'm gonna have to leave. But if it's that bad to where you got somebody that'll threaten to kill you over you leaving, uh, you're just gonna have to probably just uh, hide somewhere. Or I don't know, it's like so many different ways you can go on that. Uh, but it sounds like the answer is to, to put your foot down and, and get out of the situation, which I yeah, think I think yeah. that most professionals would agree with that. Uh, Larry, I appreciate you opening up to me today. Okay. And uh, I hope everything uh, works out for you for your time in prison. And so I appreciate it, All man. Right, cool. uh, I'll talk to you some other time. If you need something, give me a holler, okay? Okay, cool. Yep. All right, man. I do appreciate that. on the next episode of Voices of a Killer. Do I think I deserve to be out of prison? No. I feel like I'm a monster. You know, I feel like the biggest piece of shit on the planet, for real. I started to perceive that, I guess mainly that I was the victim in this hall. And so my thought was, I could get back at her by just taking our daughter away from her, you know? It's very hard for me to hear this. I, I understand that, yes. The love for your daughter did not overcome the hate for your wife at the time? And uh, there's some stuff in your story that's that's come back that you're not being completely honest with us. And I was just trying to hide the fact that I was the one responsible for it. That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Larry for sharing his story with us today. His ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you would like to listen to the raw recordings of these interviews, you can visit patreon.com slash voices of a killer. By becoming a patron, you can access not only this, but hours of bonus recordings, correspondence, and you can contribute to the way the show is produced. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind-the-scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this. At our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos, and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before. At our producer tier, you will have the opportunity to engage with the team, participate in Q&A polls, and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments. This tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future. You'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes. How cool. At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on voices of a killer.